It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, Koshi here with a small favour. Each year we run a subscriber survey to help us understand our audience and what we can do to help you be a better investor. I'd love you to fill it out. You can find it at osbiz.co.survey or follow the link in the program notes. To sweeten the deal, there are some great prizes on offer, including lunch with the Osbiz experts. Thanks for doing that. Now enjoy the call. Welcome to the call. Ten companies picked by you, two expert guests, and we discuss them over the course of an hour. It is Friday, the 18th of March. I'm Nadine Blaney. It's really nice to be here with you to end this trading week. Our two experts on today's show here with us. Well, not with us physically, but hey, virtually. Lee Quinchester from Meriwether Capital. Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Claude, I'll start with you. How's the week been treating you in terms of trade? Uh, well, it's been, I guess, a good couple of days um, with money flowing back into I guess higher risk longer uh, term growth stocks which I'm overweight and just sort of as a part of my general style being mostly in software and healthcare uh, that's been good for me but having said that despite having a couple of cracking days you know I checked yesterday and I'm still trailing the market over the last month so you know yeah. it's um, it's some solace but it doesn't mean I'm winning. Right Luke how about you when you start to see some of the companies that you're invested in get a bit of a leg up in this volatile environment, knowing that interest rates are on the rise, is it tempting to take a bit of profit? Uh, probably depends on the on the company, Nadine. I mean, if you've got some lower conviction holdings, and, and funny enough, I, I got this idea from a rich life, Claude, if you've got some lower conviction holdings on a, on a bit of a bounce, then it probably is something you can trim into. I mean, particularly yesterday felt a, a lot like short covering to me when you see those really big spikes in, um, some of the more highly shorted names on the ASX. Um, so, look, is this the start of a, of a rally in those sort of names that, that, that Claude was highlighting in the, the higher growth tech and healthcare? It, it could be. It, it could be a you know dead cat bounce, as, as it's sometimes put. Um, but I think, yeah, to, to go back and answer your question, mm -hmm. certainly if you've got some lower conviction stuff that's maybe had a, a good couple of days and you've maybe been waiting for this sort of bounce, even just psychologically, then, then it's probably something to think about. Um, but as always, you know, if, if you've got your conviction in, in, you know, good businesses over the next two, three, five years, um, then this short term noise, it is it is what it is. And, and you continue to hold them through it. Thank you. Let's get to it. I want to give you guys as much time as possible to talk about the companies on the agenda today, which are Energy One, Pure Profile, West Star Industrial, Macquarie Telecom and Beacon Lighting Group. First, though, as always, stock of the day. Vulcan Energy, it's had some encouraging news for shareholders this morning, saying it's in discussion with local stakeholders to expand operations at its geothermal renewable energy plant. This as it aims to become the world's first net zero emissions integrated lithium and renewable energy producer. So it says that its carbon lithium project in Germany is on track for commissioning of the demo project. 
in uh, the middle of this year and shares are up off the back of that. I think last I checked, yes, yeah, 6.2%. So what do our experts think? Luke Winchester, over to you. Yeah, look, you, you nailed all the buzzwords there, Nadine. You, you look at a presentation from these guys and, and they hit on basically everything the market wants to see right now. You know, that lithium trend with the, the um, demand from EVs, uh, it's also zero carbon lithium um, tying right into those ESG themes. So it's no wonder, you know, we'll bring up the, the longer uh, chart in a second. This has been a, a massive winner over the last couple of years. Now, it's a bit of a battleground stock too. Um, there was a, a short report put out a, a while back, which I think was actually run back, but it, it highlighted a few question marks, probably around, you know, the difficulty of what these guys want to do. Um, you know, it's it on on the surface it sounds really interesting and and the and the processes and the technologies they want to use if it all works could lead to um you know maybe even a bit of a paradigm shift in, in the way lithium's extracted they're talking about like 50 percent cheaper extraction costs compared to the you know the current processes on average um but there's a lot of hurdles along that way and to be fair to the company they highlight them too you look at their half year presentation there's a whole slide about the risks facing this business and a large part of it is this is not a simple process this isn't digging iron ore up out of the ground and shipping it to china there's some really complex chemistry that goes into what they want to do those that complexity is also exacerbated by the fact there's a geothermal mine tied to it which has its own you know operational risks as well um but that being said, you know, they've done all the things you want to see them do as far as a, you know, potential producer of lithium. They've um, scoped out their their, um, their their study. They've uh, got some offtake agreements with some large auto producers. Um, so, you know, they're, they're ticking all the boxes. Mm -hmm. and, and today's announcement is just another one of those. You've got the demo plan in place. Um, for me, look, I, I always sit on the sideline with stocks like this when they're so, like I, I call them battleground stocks, where you have some people who, who really question it. You have some true believers. I always tend to sit on the sideline. If you're there, you probably continue to hold it. I don't think the business has done anything that would, you know, um, warrant you to sell it if you've already bought it at some point in the past. Um, for someone new to the story, I'd probably just hold off. It, it's it's priced quite richly, even compared to, you know, the the net present value of the of the studies they've they've currently got out. So the market's either assuming higher lithium prices, which may happen or they're able to drill further and, and, and find deeper resources than what's currently estimated. So I'd say, I'd say a hold for the, for the program. Thank you. Over to you, Claude. Well, I guess I wanted to take a slightly different angle. I sort of agree with Luke's assessment of the fundamentals of it, but I think you've got to separate. Look, I actually started my interest in the ASX back when there was a ton of geothermal companies on the ASX that were getting government funding and there was a lot of excitement about that. And I got sucked into the sum of that and I lost some money. Um, you know, first I bought, it went up and then it eventually went all the way back down. Now, I'm not saying these guys are going to go to zero, but I do think you have to separate out the fact that it's kind of a cool story and that it'd be nice to have um, zero carbon lithium production. Uh, you've got to separate that out from the actual valuation of the company and, and which, by which I mean like the uh, value of the future cash flows uh, that shareholders will eventually get after all of the capex and dilution that's necessary for that is done to actually get it up and running and you know i think that i'll refer to uh the guy joe lowry that was quoted in the afr um who said quite some time ago now at a lower share price i view vulcan as a modern day tulip bulb investment great marketing low on substance now i don't know if that's completely true but i just wanted to zoom in on half of that statement which is the marketing aspect like you have to be as an investor cognizant in my view of what 
the sociology is going on with your stocks. And the sociology that's going on around Vulcan is absolutely remarkable, okay? So this is an absolute retail fan favorite um, stock. On, the, on Hot Copper, there's a, a VUL mega thread that has a, a purportedly 1.8 million views on it, um, whereas the most popular thread on CSL has about 6K views. Um, Vulcan um, has a Twitter account and tweets multiple times a day quite often, whereas Fortescue, a very established market, tweets about three times a month. Uh, you have um, Motley Fools covered Vulcan 19 times so far this year, this calendar year, just, you know, since January, on their free website, which works out as an article about once every four days. Now, the reason that they'll be doing that, and I know because I used to work there, is that that's because it's getting the clicks, it's getting the interest. There's a lot of retail mm -hmm. um, readers that really want to, they're Googling Vulcan every day, and every Vulcan article has, you know, a horde of readers that are sharing it and all that sort of stuff. By contrast, you know, um, Babcor, which is a billion dollars bigger, pays dividends and is profitable, it's had 12 articles on their website this year. So even though it's so much of a better, more established company, it's got so fewer people interested in it. And, you know, the next stock we're going to talk about, which is also in energy, it has one, had one article written about it. So I think what you see what I'm getting here is if you then go and read the article written by uh, Michael Rodden of the AFR called Vulcan Energy Revels in Online Disinformation, that'll give you a little bit of background about how a company builds this mass retail following, which then pushes up the share price. And they do that. You know, I'm not even going to get into it now, but I've written about S3 Consortium before on, mm -hmm. on my website. So look, basically, you just have to play with caution. Whether or not this is a great business in the end that succeeds and becomes profitable, that's one question. The other question is, how did the share price get to where it is today? And what's going to drive it from here? And in my view, the biggest factor is just this retail, these retail followers. And they can last a very, very long time. But if you're like the last additional retail holder that jumps on and there's no more people that are willing to believe in this story, then you're going to have a bad ride after that if it doesn't live up to what are extremely optimistic expectations. So for me, I would actually have to say, look, if you're in it, I don't want to get in the way of you and your speculating and stuff. But I would say this is don't go all in. Don't think it's a safe investment. It's not a safe investment. I would advise you to have fun trading it, but make sure that you, you make a profit if you're in a position to do that and, and don't don't go all in. Definitely it's an avoid not. for you, though. Um, so yeah. that is what we'll leave that one with. Vulcan Energy. Let's get to the first company nominated by our viewers. And I know these guys are pretty happy with the list today. Wendy has emailed in asking for you to comment on Energy One. I think, Claude, I've had a conversation with you about Energy One before. It's software as a service that is used by the international energy markets wholesalers. So, And it's also got exposure to renewable markets as well. What do you think of Energy One? Yeah, right. So, well, full disclosure up front, this is actually uh, one of my favorite ASX stocks. It's one of my biggest holdings and I hold shares in it at the moment. And, you know, I think the highest price I paid was about $5.11, which is a small top up, but I've mostly accumulated at lower prices. But the point here is that um, this is a company that, as you say, does software for um, its wholesale market participants. So that can be buyers, big buyers and uh, people that are just trading on those wholesale markets. Now, actually, since we last talked about it, Nadine, it's actually had a very big development, which is that it um, has decided to buy this business called CQ Energy, which does diversify the business in what I originally thought was probably a worse, make it worse, diversify the business into a more services thing. So I'm not just talking about the software that users, um, that participants use for energy trading. 
I'm talking now about the fact that they're buying a company that provides the services themselves. So that's the expertise, the actual 24-7 energy trading desk, the risk managers, the whole team really that is required for someone who is a, a say a wind farm to actually start trading and selling that energy on the market and managing their contracts and their risk in terms of what they agree with. And that's um, really interesting because, uh, you know, essentially that is designed, that decision is designed to give these guys even more um, exposure to the, I guess, growing renewable energy business. Because when you have a, a big, um, you know, gas coal power station, they probably already have the employees they need for the energy trading and the participation in the wholesale markets, but they might use Energy One software to do so. But now they're going to actually be able to provide the whole team as well. And obviously, they hope leverage off the fact that I guess one guy could be doing several companies and, of course, using Energy One software to do it. So they'll be using their own software, but, but selling that service. Now, of course, I was a little bit concerned that this might mean that, that it's going to be lumpier, lower quality, less recurring revenues. Um, but, you know, actually, at the last results, the CEO said, what's the effect of that? Um, operational services revenues are by definition recurring. They're long-term contracts. Um, Two-thirds of the CQ energy is recurring. Um, we consider it high-quality sticky revenue. And um, there will still be an element of one-off services, which there, which there always has been um, around historically 20%. Now, if we zoom in on the most recent results, they had fewer one-off services. So it dropped to like 10% in the most recent results, which saw even normalized profit excluding the acquisition um, costs of CQ Energy was flat. So that's pretty disappointing given that um, if you even look at normalized profits, um, I think it's on a P of over 30. So you could say, oh, it's a bit too expensive there, which is why I'm not buying right at the current price. But yep. um, at the same time, with the long-term view, I still really like this, this business. So um, me personally, I'm holding at current prices, but it wouldn't have to drop much for me to be a buyer. Okay, thank you. Buy on any dip. What about you, Luke? Energy One. Yeah, Claude, Claude knows this business really well. I, I know it um, quite well as uh, the same. Um, it's been a fantastic business. And, and like the anecdote I like to give is, is this stock's actually a hundred bagger for, for certain people. For a few months back in 2013, it traded about six cents. Um, and if you've held it all the way up to, to where it is today, you've, you've done obviously fantastically well. Um, Long term, I, I actually agree with everything Claude just said at the end there regarding sort of the outlook for the business. I, I think longer term, this is a management team that's just done a fantastic job of building out a, a, a brilliant business in Australia to the point where it's more than half of the energy trading market. And I think the rest is essentially all just internally built software from, from participants. I don't think there's any other third party software that competes with them. Um, and they're now taking that to, to the Europe and the UK um, and, and doing it through acquisitions, but, but definitely a management team, I give them the benefit of the doubt to do that. The, the shorter term risk, which again, Claude just highlighted, it's this pivot to the services business. So you go from, you know, your core competency is the software. You're now gonna, they've termed it software with a service. I actually don't mind that term. Um, and it is the sort of industry, I, I, I don't mind the strategy pivot because this is an industry, particularly as renewable energies come in, 
batteries come in, you can see the electrical grid becoming extremely complex over the next few years. And so businesses like mm-hmm. uh, Energy One and, and the ones they acquire can, can provide a lot of value to people. Um, again, I, I'm copying Claude's notes, but mine was exactly the same. It's about 30, okay. 35 times earnings. I'd love just to get it maybe for about 25. So I would definitely hold it. It's really a liquid. So if, you, if you've got it, don't sell it because you've, you know, you've, you've worked hard to get those shares. Um, but, but for someone new to the stock, probably just try and get it on a bit of a pullback. The last report was a little bit weaker Got than it. what I expected. And I was sort of hoping for a bit more of a pullback on that. So just, just be patient with it. It is a liquid and, and it, it's one that can have those sort of 10, 15% moves. There you go, Wendy. I think that was a good explanation and justification from our guests. Let's go to Pure Profile from Benjamin. Now I'll start with you on this one, Luke. Uh, ben has said they seem to be major, uh, majorly undervalued after capitalization on a strong growth trajectory. Have a fantastic new CEO. What do you think? Yeah, look, disclosure, I do own this one with Meriwether Capital. Um, I agree with his last comment. I think Martin Fills, who's come in and, and the CFO, Melinda Shepard, they've done a fantastic job. Um, and this is actually an example of um, where, where having a memory in micro caps can sometimes be to your disadvantage. Um, so this was a real turnaround. This business was effectively um, bankrupt and had to be recapitalized. Um, new CEO, CFO come in, um, you know, the share price was absolutely decimated. And as someone who was familiar with the business for what it was and, and knew the struggles that they had, you sort of, you can sort of wait maybe years, three, four, five years before that whole turnaround process. The share register sometimes has to turn over as those debt holders are turned into equity holders. That didn't happen with Pure Profile. The turnaround has been extremely quick, and I think that's because of the expertise Martin's brought to the team and the people that he's been able to bring with him. Um, they've refocused very heavily on their on their consumer and data insights. So um, what this business is, for people who don't know, they effectively survey consumers, um, learn about them, build a customised profile profile of them, and sell that to, um, to, to, to retailers and, and advertisers to better target the people they want to target. Um, it's had a bit of a sell-off. You see that there on the chart. I, I think the reason why was the market was maybe expecting them to upgrade their guidance. Um, they've, they've maintained their original guidance for uh, 4 to 4.4 mil um, EBITDA. Mm-hmm. They did 2.5 mil and a half. So it implies a slowdown in the second half. Um, I actually suspect they'll beat that. The question is how much, and I, and I think that's what the market's asking as well. But again, it's similar sentiments to what we just said with EOL. It's, it's one where short-term, there's some you know maybe question marks around that second half and the guidance. Longer term, I really like what this, the new CEO and CFO have done with this business. They've positioned it well. It's expanding overseas um, quite nicely with some partnerships. So I hold it. Um, I've, I've probably bought some around these levels a while back, um, but, but around that sort of five cent level. So I, I would definitely say a buy. Buy. Is it a buy for you, Claude? Pure profile, PPL is the ticker code. Yeah, I'll call it a, a buy as well. Tiny little position for me, though. Um, I haven't bought in big myself, just a, a watching brief. I agree with all Luke said. I'll keep it quick and just add, though, that um, I have serious concerns about their remuneration. I think that um, they use sort of this logic in their presentations where they sort of say, if share-based payments weren't included, you know, then blah, 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 this is what we'd achieve. But I include those, and I think it's really important that um, businesses like have that discipline. On the, on, the, on the flip side, we did actually see the CEO himself uh, reach into his pocket and pay ten thousand dollars for a bit of a few shares recently, so that's a good sign. You know, I like it too. Um, I just want to see them smooth out some of those um, issues. With um, they think that the right way to think about the business is exclude share-based payments, and and I actually think that's categorically wrong. So I hope they can level up on that regard. 
Okay, so it is a buy. Pure Profile has two buys that will be going to the investment committee. Let's get to the next on the list. I am curious to get your views on this, guys, uh, given you know where I know your interest mostly lies. But Weststar Industrial for Steve, WSI. It's a mining services company in a nutshell, but Steve points out that in the last quarterly, there was nearly $29 million on cash, in cash and positive cash flow, which I know you like, Claude, from activities um, at $11 million. So he says that they're well capitalized and for each one cent move in the share price, the capital will move about 1 million. I haven't checked that out, so forgive me. Now, he, he just thinks this sounds like a, a great deal. What do you think, Claude? Well, I, I think I might let uh, Luke handle some of the nuances of cash flow, but suffice it to say for me is that you can't, with this kind of business, you can't fully um, take a heap of comfort in the cash flow because uh, in the kind of uh, the services business, especially mining services, big projects can make a big difference and also so can the payments, the timing of payments. So if they get a big payment ahead of, um, you know, actually doing the work and paying the salaries and all that sort of stuff, that can swell up their cash now, but it comes with a liability that they need to do certain work and do certain things. Now, in an inflationary um, environment, you better hope that they actually don't get in a situation where they end up having to pay more to fulfill those contracts. And that is the big risk with these guys. Having said all that, I do think that um, Steve is kind of got a good eye here because it does look like, you know, um, even just based on the first half, right? They did 2.3 something million. And then they say they have the strongest position we've ever been in going into H2, right? So if they have a little bit of an improved half, then they could do $5 million in actual earnings. Now, with the market cap currently at about $25 million, oh, it's notched up since I looked at it, but, you know, um, that that means that it's probably only on about five times earnings, which in my view is probably a bit low for this kind of business. Now, this is never going to be on 30 times earnings and nor should it be. I mean, if it is, that's crazy. But could it get to seven times earnings? Probably, yes. So if it gets its five million, it goes to seven times earnings, that's 40% upside. So yeah, look, a decent thing, but the problem with this kind of value investing is you kind of have to have, I generally, if I do this, like I did it with the one called Amatec a while ago, you know, it's very cheap. You think it's gonna have a strong half, it's gonna look very cheap, it'll go up a bit. But the thing is, long-term, you're not quite sure if it's a really great business. So I'm not sure about the long-term, but I actually do agree with Steve that this does look interesting for a little short-term trade. Not one I own myself, not one I'm likely to own. But yeah, I, I think a, a good pickup by Steve there. Okay, so is that a buy today? I'm ten, I don't want to say buy. It's it's very liquid, very high risk. And, and honestly, like it was only for this show that I ever first looked at okay. it. But as close as I can say to buy, you know, with the caveats being that I just don't quite know well enough. Got it. Thank you, Claude. How about you, Luke? Do you follow this one? It is a WSI. I don't follow it closely, but again, like you're around micro caps enough and, and similar to what we we're just talking about PPL, like you, you have a memory of businesses and people. So this is one that's been around for a long time. It's always looked like it's going to grow, particularly revenue, and it's just never been able to get anywhere at a profit level. Um, unprofitable contracts, um, loss making. And the other thing as well, which I, I remember this from a while back, there's some, some interesting related party transactions, which you know go back to the FY20 annual report. I'll, I'll, you know, they're in the notes there. Um, that said, you know, I came to it expecting, you know, I had my sort of red flags up. This result looked okay, and, and it looked pretty clean um, at, at the profit and loss level. The cash flow is really interesting though, and, and Claude sort of touched on it. You know, when you do 20 mil operating cash flow, oh, sorry, 16, 
14 mil operating cash flow, there was a 16 mil increase in their contract liability. So Claude was sort of touching on it there. That means you've gotten $16 million up front from one of your customers, but you haven't performed any work for them yet. So you've got this liability on your balance sheet that you'll have to execute over time. This is a mining services business, and I'm not aware of many mining services businesses that get cash up front from their customers. Um, normally, it's the other way around. They really have to fight tooth and nail to get cash. So it's worth a question to management team, exactly what is this contract liability? Who's it with? Um, what is the work that has to be performed? And Claude raised a very good point I didn't actually consider. In this inflationary environment, it might actually be pretty dangerous um, if, it's a, if that's a long dated contract that has to be done over the next few years. So look, I'm sort of come to the same conclusion, Claudius. It looks really interesting. If I held it, um, I don't have the viewer's name. If I held it, I would actually keep holding it. I think it could be starting to look interesting. There's just a few question marks for me on, on a cursory glance. I, I couldn't say buy, but but certainly if you could get answers to a few of those questions, it does, it does look really, really cheap. Okay, so it looks cheap, but it's not a buy today. Thank you, guys. We are doing well. Number four on the list, Macquarie Telecom. So David, hi David, I hope you're listening. Again, this is information only. This is not telling you to go out and actually buy, hold, sell. You have to do your own research or get advice. Um, this is for David, it's MAQ. He says, made up of a few businesses, some established, some growing. We know that it's in the data center space um, primarily now, it, but he says that it makes it hard to value in this climate where growth is being punished, but its growth prospects in his view are very promising. Is it just a matter of wait and see or is now, particularly I would imagine on a down day, a good time to buy a high, excuse me, high quality business and keep long term? So I would point out that it's mostly government data centers. Um, I spoke with David Tudhope, who's the CEO, and they're really taking a campus approach to building these things out, which he says really sets it apart. Uh, Luke, you can start with Macquarie Telecom. Yeah, look, this comes up a fair bit. It, it's a really, really high quality business. David Tudorhope owns, I think, maybe 60% of the business, something like that. So it's a bit illiquid. And, and to answer your question, Nadine, like, do you buy it today? Probably depends on your time frame. If, if someone said to me, I've got a three to five year time frame, I can buy Macquarie Telecom today and not check my broking account for five years. It's a, it's, you know, probably close to a screaming buyer. These guys, it's just a, such a well-run business. The the core telecom business is is sort of stagnating, declining, but they're doing a brilliant job of taking the cash flows from that, investing it so well into the data centers and the cloud services, and those businesses are growing really well. Um, they they break out their their split between maintenance and growth capital uh, expenditure, and this is a management team I'm happy to, to you know you take that with a grain of salt, but I'm happy to do that with these guys. It trades on about 32 million um, free free cash flow. Um, you know, on the current 1.32 billion market cap, that's not crazy for this business and the growth, and particularly the steady growth you'll get over the next few years. Um, even if you were to just to say, look, the telecom business is is going to zero, which it's not, but let's just say we, we'll put zero's value to that. You're probably paying about 20 times EBITDA of the data centers and, and the cloud services. And that's, again, it's, it's a pretty fair price. So shorter term, I'm not sure because you will be swept up in the sentiment of the market. But, but longer term, if someone said to me three to five years, it's, it's definitely a buy. Thank you. Do you see it any differently? Claude, you guys have been getting along quite well today. Well, I, I am an investor in his, in his fund, so it's not that surprising <laughs> um, that we see things similarly. But uh, yeah, look, I do agree. And, you know, it's funny that he, he honed in on that. Um, I think it was the, oh no, he said that uh, Luke said the data service. I'd actually, the one thing I'd dif, um, differ slightly on him on that is that I actually think the, the jewel in the crown of this business is the cloud services and government business. And I think this is the one that I would really like to have um, exposure to. 
because essentially um, these guys have what I believe is a genuine competitive example advantage there, which is that they are an Australian company with super, um, you know, government approved vetted employees building, you know, in Canberra where I live, you know, these big super safe um, data centers down the road from ASIO, right? So they're, in my opinion, have got a very um, sticky sort of good customer relationship there. Look, if you um, go back, Luke mentioned the founders are great. You know, they say that the, the way that they've always tried to win is basically um, to have an offering that is bringing um, supporting markets, they put it, that are overcharged and underserved. And like the natural maximum extension of that is when you're like the doing the highest touch possible service in the most important super secret data storage for the government. Um, that is a good business. And I'd love that. Look, looking at the share price long term actually physically hurts me because I remember looking at this when it was like $14 and then it went up to $20 and I was like, oh, shucks, I've missed it. And that's kind of been how I've been with it ever since. I would really like to add this um, at a more attractive price. I think that you probably want to buy it on like a dividend yield of 2 or 3% rather than 1%. So probably a fair bit cheaper. But, you know, I could see myself paying up um, even on a dip just because just to get a little foothold in it because I think it is a high quality business, um, high quality management. And at least part of the business is really valuable there. Um, it's just that part of the business also is shrinking. So that's why I think the multiple is a bit too high. Okay. That is not going to the investment committee because Claude would like to buy it a bit cheaper. But a screaming buy for Luke. Now we are at number five. So doing really well, guys. Beacon Lighting Group, BLX is the ticker code. This is for Meg. So how do we look at this? Do we look at this as an e-commerce play? Do we look at it as a play on the housing market? Is there still juice left in those two thematics as we move into what will likely be a higher mortgage rate, a higher interest rate environment, or is what Beacon Lighting doing so good you just can't help yourself from buying it, Claude? Yeah, so essentially I think that uh, this is a great play and this is like on my buy in a housing crash uh, watch list. So Beacon Lighting, um, if you look back a few years ago in their report when you know the property market dipped slightly, they sort of said, uh, oh, you know, our profits are down because of the housing market being down. And for whatever reason, I guess because, you know, moving house and renovating and all that sort of stuff. Um, for whatever reason, these guys do tend to do well in housing booms. The other really strange thing is if you go back three halves, so pretty much at the beginning of COVID, their um, gross margins uh, took a uh, considerable leap up from off the top of my head around 60-something percent to 70-something percent. I have it in my notes here somewhere. So basically, um, I was really... Uh, fascinated about how that might have happened so 70 percent gross margins now and the only mention that i could find of it in their report was that they had higher gross profit margins reflecting an exciting product range which is language they put in every report and or, no, or multiple reports and less promotional discounting so to me it seems like there's just been a demand a, a bump in demand which has allowed them to put their prices up that's less promotional discounting so maybe a less competitive market they own more of the market there, at least in Australia. They do have initiatives overseas as well, where I imagine it would be still competitive. They must have differentiated products there. So I don't know if that is repeatable or even sustainable long term. So that would be the biggest risk that I have there. But otherwise, I do think that this is a, a good quality 
uh, retailer. And I would say, you know, I wouldn't want to say sell, but for me, um, just because of that concern, I would, I'd leave it as a hold probably. Thank you. I suppose with any of these retailers as well, you've got to consider supply chain risk. We know that there's still shutdowns happening due to COVID in China and, you know, freight costs. I was speaking to a friend yesterday, actually coincidentally in the lighting business, uh, not for homes, but for more industrial and commercial uses, but saying, yeah, that the freight costs have just gone, you know, exponentially high. Yeah, well, exactly. And so that's the kind of thing that could be hard to pass on immediately, mm -hmm. especially if the consumer's a bit shaky. So sometimes what companies end up doing is just, and sometimes rightly, just absorb that cost. But that'll mean gross margins might head back down to where they were in the, in the, in the past. And given a lot of the profit growth has been margin improvement, especially net profit margin improvement with a little extra scale, mm -hmm. um, that might mean we see, you know, it's probably priced about right, in my opinion, at, at around 15 times, because it's probably going to struggle to grow as it has in the past. Great, thanks. And Luke, if you're looking for a retailer to have in your portfolio, would Beacon Lighting for you be one of them? I think so. Like this is sneakily probably one of the better quality businesses on the ASX. Um, it, it doesn't get compared to Reese very often, but I, I think it's pretty close to to Reese. And there's a lot of characteristics they share in common. Obviously, the exposure to the housing market, but they they dominate their niche: Reese in plumbing and Beacon in lighting. Um, you have a family that owns more than half of the business. It's the Robinson family here that's run extremely conservatively. They grow, um, you know, like clockwork every year by opening a handful of new stores. Um, very tight cost control over margins. And, and yeah, it, it's, just, it's a high quality business, I think, that probably doesn't get the same recognition as, as some others. And it's no wonder it's on Claude's sort of, you know, uh, ready to pounce watch list. Um, like a lot of retailers, the numbers are... There's a lot of moving factors, and I won't go over them all again. You guys have done a good job. And so it's hard to get a feel as to what that real, I guess, underlying level of earnings is. I think they've done a very good job in their first half 22 results, which just came out, just to stay flat on last year. There was a real big boom last year where we couldn't go anywhere, so we, we refurbed our houses and bought new lamps and fans. They did well to keep that flat. And if that continues on that 15 times earnings, it actually looks okay at these levels, I think. But... To me, I, I just don't know. And, and I think Claude's right. There's a lot of um, uncertainty around the consumer moving forward. This isn't a space where you go and buy a new lamp or fan every year. Like you sort of do that refurb once and maybe you know it, it lasts mm -hmm. you five, 10 years. So I would say a hold. Again, if you're there, it's a liquid. I think you've, you've worked hard to get your position. So stay there. Don't, don't exit a good business. For someone new to it, just sit on the sidelines and, and, and hope for, again, whether it's a market pullback or maybe a bit of weakness in, in you know, a, a one update or something like that. Just wait for a bit of a better price. Got it. Thank you, guys. We are at the halfway mark. Let me just sum up what we have learned so far. And the stock of the day was Vulcan Energy. It is an avoid for Claude. He questions where all of these retail shareholders have come from. Is it uh, from Twitter? All of the, you know, just big um, articles that are written about the company. He says, you just have to question how the stock price got where it is today. It is a hold for Luke, because he says, yeah, it has all the buzzwords, but the hurdles, while they've been highlighted by the company, they are very high. He's going to sit on the sidelines. This is a battleground stock for him. Energy One, it's a hold for Claude. He would buy on a dip, though. He really likes this business. Again, for Luke, it's price. We're in a volatile environment. We've had a leg up for some of these uh, software companies, for some of the high growth companies, and you could get it cheaper probably sometime soon. Buy on a dip. Pure Profile, it's a buy for both of my guests today.
and that will be put to the investment committee. Weststar Industrial, it's illiquid, it's very high risk. It is not Claude's cup of tea, although he does say that it's an interesting short-term trade. He can't advise a buy because he wouldn't do it himself, but he does see the trading opportunities. Look, Luke says that it's, a ch it's cheap. It's cheap, it's cash flow is interesting. Uh, I don't think he's buying on the day today. Now, Macquarie Telecom, it is potentially even a screaming buy for Luke, although it is a long-term hold. Claude likes it, it's just he thinks that you could get it a fair bit cheaper because part of its business is not the outperformer. In fact, it is waning. Beacon Lighting, you just heard what they said. It's a hold from both of my guests. So let's get to the portfolio. Our investment committee meeting is online. That's the first of many. The committee meets a little bit later this month. They've decided to start this high conviction Ausbiz fund with BHP Macquarie, Mineral Resources, Steadfast, Aristocrat Leisure, Audinate, CSL, NextDC, and Universal Store with a bit of Qantas and Frontier Digital Ventures. Also, 20% is being held in cash. So every month the committee will move and meet to assess the buy, holds, and sells that are discussed on this program every day. So just as today, these companies that have been a buy will be put before the investment committee and they'll decide if they want to readjust that or what have you. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Let's get to our next five stocks. Boss Energy is on the list, IntelliHR for Simrin. Uh, look, we've got Top Shelf International coming up, Volpara Health for Charlie, plenty for Toby as well. Let's get right to it. My guests are Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. Boss Energy, I'm going to start with you, Claude. We've had a bit of news from the company this week, raising capital to fund a mining restart in SA. It is in the very hot uranium space right now. For Jaden, what do you think, Claude? Well, you did say it. The space is quite hot at the moment, and uh, perhaps for good reason. I thought it was really interesting. Um, you know, yes, as you've mentioned, they just got off, I think, at 140 million cap raising, so that'll bolster the balance sheet for the development. And look, I think there's a good chance that these guys might be one of the few kind of uranium miners that actually get their um, mine up and running because. Uh, as I understand it, there as it's because it's a brownfield restart project. You know they already have permits, and um, interestingly, back in June 2021, the CEO um, was out there saying, "Oh, you know, we need to have uranium prices rise to $60 US a, uh, a pound to like uh, really sort of get um, the market going back up and, and getting justify investment in new projects." And I checked just today, and I think it's at $59. So it would seem that. In a way, they're kind of going to go ahead now, and maybe the settings are there for that to happen. Of course, you know it's very risky in the sense that it it takes years to get these things up and running and and to full produ production, and you don't know what the price will be there then. Um, but I think these guys are one of the more credible uranium mining hopefuls that I've seen. Um, and you know the other interesting thing is they have, I think, you know, a hundred million dollars of uh, uranium inventory now. So I think they're trying to position themselves as like a reliable supplier for, for people. So, um, you know, let's see how that goes. I think that the downside of the investment thesis is 
that um, the market cap is already, I think, before this raising was almost 700 million. So, you know, there's a lot of success priced in and, and a lot of uh, promise, but it seems like a big risk to me. It's definitely not my kettle of fish, but as they go, this seems like a reasonable um, uranium hopeful. You've said reasonable, more more credible. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll leave that one there. Luke, what do you think? Are you keen on this whole uranium space when you think about energy security in Europe, when you think about the decarbonization of the world? I mean, are we going to need more uranium for nuclear plants? Um, I suspect so. I, I think more and more people are coming around to the fact if we want to fully decarbonize, uranium has to be a part of that. Now, as for BOSS themselves, I mean, this actually looks like a pretty easy sell to me, Nadine. I, I don't do a great deal of resources. So when they come up on the call, I, I obviously come in with a pretty fresh slate, you know, to, to look at it. And, and the first thing I saw is this is a business trading about 50% above its you know, net present value of its mine. So, you know, it either needs substantially higher uranium prices, I estimate, you know, maybe over $100. Um, or, you know, they're doing some drilling to, to, to obviously um, find more resources, which which both could happen. But to price that in, I think it's it's very difficult to do as a shareholder when, you know, you're talking about a 10, 11 year mine life. Um, I do note management also sold some down into this raise. I think they've done the smart thing. You've got some exuberance in your stock price on the back of, you know, a uranium rally. Sell into that, get some cash in the bank. They've done the right thing. Um, but, but as a shareholder, you know, you're now paying for that essentially. So... Um, also, a comment there about they're not ready to utilise debt yet, which I find interesting because, you know, as an operating mine, you should be maybe 50% levered. Um, I, I'm not quite sure why they wouldn't be wanting to use debt in this environment unless they're unable to lock in these higher prices, is my suspicion. So I actually think it's a sell. I think it's gotten too far ahead of itself in the uranium rally. Um, even though it's a restart, there's always still a long way to go before, you know, it starts actually getting shipments to customers. Um, and, and whenever you have, you know, water under the bridge, things can go wrong and inevitably you're, you're not pricing that in right now. Thank you guys. Let's get to another one on the list that I'm, I'm positive that we've spoken about before. So really keen to get your updated thinking on them. And that's IntelliHR. This is for Simran. Posted a record third quarter just recently, Luke. What do you think? Um, I, I like IntelliHR and disclosure, I do own it with, with Merriweather. Um, I'll, I'll touch on the good points of IntelliHR because I think Claude will, will highlight some of the, the red flags, with it, which, which are genuine, don't get me wrong, I, I share them with him. Um, the, the product is, is obviously a very high quality. If you look at the customer reviews on software websites, um, not only are they all five stars, the, the comments are, are fantastic. Um, they're able to land and expand with clients. They do 116% net revenue retention, meaning they're upselling to their existing clients, um, not just winning new clients. Um, you know, more than doubling their revenue year on year, that, that recurring revenue is growing quickly. Off a low base, it's a small business, but growing quickly. Um, but, but I think the quality of that product um, and the, the characteristics of their, the metrics around their growth um, you know, is, is one of the reasons I own. Um, the market has turned on these businesses, though. This is still a heavy cash-burning business. Um, management now has to prove they can either grow more sustainably or you know, get to scale before cash runs out, which I sort of suspect they would struggle to do. So that may mean growth rates slow down and, and wait and see what that means for the share price. But um, I actually think from a strategic point of view, it looks very interesting. I think it's a really high quality product at about a 50 mil market cap. It wouldn't surprise me if um, 
some of the late larger HR players, even someone like an Elmo, might look at an Intelli HR um, to, to flesh out a product suite um, as they further entrench themselves with some large customers. But I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there and let Claude touch on some red flags. Well, I'm going to say, is that a buy, hold, sell? It's a buy. Like I, I, I've bought IntelliHR around these levels, like 16, 17 cents before that dip to 11. <laughs> but, but, you know, at, at these levels in the past. Okay, there you go. Claude, what do you think? Um, what well, are the I, red flags? Well, I also, so for disclosure, I also bought at higher prices and um, I actually just reduced my holding a little bit um, so that it would be a very small holding uh, most recently because essentially what happened is a little while ago, um, in the last year, the CEO sold down shares at, at what was then below the market price and the company did a capital raising. Um, and then more recently, the CEO has stepped aside out of that CEO role. Now he's still with the company and he's still going to be an executive, but they're bringing on another executive, um, which will add to costs. And already, in my opinion, um, you know, the problem here, the reason that the, the share price is lower is because costs are rising quite quickly. And I'm not talking about just expense, um, expenses for um, expansion overseas. That was only 44% of the increase in expenses according to their report. So there's a lot of just costs just appearing, it would seem, now that they've raised capital. Um, and that's not what I like to see. I really don't like to see a company have a CEO sell down and then they raise capital and then they like massively increase costs, including the CEO himself actually stepping aside. In fact, that combination of sell shares step aside is such, I've seen so many times that that proceeds um, six months, one year, like lower, like not great share price action, put it that way. Um, so that that is actually what forced me to, to go ahead and sell uh, some of my shares uh, just because that's my rule. Um, and that those these rules um, have affected me sometimes. And this is one of those situations. Now that might save me, I hope my heart wants to hold on a little bit and I've still got some shares about 1% of my portfolio I think and I hope it does really well for all the reasons that Luke says but again yeah look the um, the combination of what we saw then and also just the the situation in the the greater markets with uh, the market sort of turning against these kind of loss-making businesses just has me very cautious at the moment so I'd say you know with full disclosure of what I've been doing for, for my re remaining holding it's a hold but that's just a small holding for me. Thank you. So you're holding, just to clarify, you're holding on because you still do believe fundamentally that it has a good product. Because otherwise it's like, why not just get out of it yeah. altogether? So yeah. it's, it's rare to find organic growth that is like product, like there's a good product and people want it and it's just growing organically. Yeah. That's what's actually quite rare. And when you have that one factor, that's when you sometimes get outlier results. When there's demand pool and if the product brand just, I mean, it's tiny now compared to the market. So if it actually starts to get more of a brand reputation and, and as mm -hmm. Luke was saying, you know, it has good retention and even um, being able to upsell a little bit, those scenarios are really good. You know, the idea that you can win a customer and then they'll spend more with you over time um, and you're, you don't need to buy other companies and do all this stuff to get growth. That is rare in software. And eventually if that keeps going, you end up with a high quality business basically because the it's a mm -hmm. sticky revenues and it scales really well. They just haven't got to that point okay. where the revenue's scaling over their expenses. Top Shelf International for Elise, wondering whether it's worth, it's a Friday, so we should talk booze, right? Whether it's worth comparing Top Shelf and Lark, putting Lark's governance, I suppose, to the side 
Experts on the program have been keen on both in the past, but Top Shelf has taken a hit recently. Is now the time to buy Top Shelf? Luke, Top Shelf, buy, hold, sell. Um, I would probably hold it, Nadine. I'd be careful comparing it to Lark. And the main reason why is Lark did a really good job establishing a luxury brand. Just jump on the websites of these two businesses. Lark, you know, their, their medium range of, of bottles, you know, uh, sort of above $500. Their ultra premiums, like above $1,000, $2,000 a bottle. You jump onto the Ned's Whiskey, which is Top Shelf's um, primary brand, and, and there's no bottle more than $80. It's a very different business. And, and um, so, so Top Shelf more than Lark are much more um, tied to distribution. It's just mass distribution. But that's a problem because you're dealing with some big players in that space. You've got to deal with Dan Murphy's, Liquorland, the big hotel groups um, to get distribution into their, into their, um, into their networks. So mm -hmm. you probably never see that same margin that Lark will be able to extract over time because of that premium brand. Um, a bit more into the weeds. The other thing I didn't like about it when I had a look was they were calling out a 1.5 mil operating losses, you know, working their, wards, working their way towards break even. But they included the revaluation of their agave plants because they're trying to do some tequila. So yeah. I never like this reval of you know your biological assets. It, it, you know, it's so hard as an outside investor to really get a value, get a feel for those values. So I look at the cash flow and they they, they lost eleven million dollars cash. To me, that's more yeah. um, you know that's more the underlying health of the business than than the operating number that they gave. So I would I would hold it if you're there because it does look like they've got a few good brands that could be interesting, but they're not Lark. Got it. Luke, or sorry, Claude, buy, hold, sell for Top Shelf. I think it's a sell for all the reasons um, about the cash flow that Luke mentioned. But also, you've got to remember these guys, or at least at their last report, they had debt. And um, on top of that, they have this thing where they've like sold an NFTs for their Australian agave and, and uh, etc. No and, and for me, yeah, like for me, I'm like, okay, I'll look. NFTs are whatever. If people want to do that, that's fine. But like, aren't you a business selling your whiskey and your agave and stuff like that? Like, <laughs> it, it's the opposite of what I like that talking about, like that demand pool that I love to see. It's like, oh, now we're going to do NFTs because that's the hottest thing and then we'll do something else. So for me, it's a hard pass, hard avoid. Um, obviously, it's not a premium in the same way Lark is. Uh, so for me, I just don't see it being a super valuable business, even when it reaches maturity, which it's a long way from. Great, thank you. Number nine on the list is Volpara Health Technologies for Charlie. No context here, but Volpara did move more significantly into European markets last week, just made an announcement. It is breast technology, breast cancer detection technology, still founder run and led. Claude, uh, these companies have been really beaten down. So is this a buying opportunity? Um, I would say no. And the reason is, and I would have, before said yes and i did actually um have paid higher prices than current prices for volpara which i still own some shares in as well but it's a similar story to IntelliHR. you have to accept that the overall cycle on these companies is turning down higher inflation um and which is going to probably be exacerbated by the um invasion of ukraine um means that these companies are going into their winter and the most important thing for any of these um software companies that have been losing money is they need to have a path to break even whereby they can stand on their own two feet and they don't need to keep on coming back to the market because that's how they do permanent damage to their share price coming back to the market at a low price. And so I recently, a bit longer ago, but I also took some off the table with Volpara and that's because in their last quarterly, um, basically their uh, receipts from customers went down slightly, essentially. And so that's not what I want to see. I want to see, um, yeah, look, 
they did manage to have slightly better operating cash flows but once you exclude grants they were down too so basically it doesn't look like it's on a sufficiently convincing path to break even to me they're not doing that fast enough they had a couple of quarters where their actual cash burn went up not good enough um i really love this company i want to ride it to um success when it has that success but i think really the next big success for volpara will be when it can prove that it's an it's an adult company that's profitable because it's had quite a few years to do that now but you're holding on to your small holding so is it a hold? yeah similar story yeah, yeah okay, I, look, I say it's a hold, but i'm not I'm going to wait until I get more evidence that they're going to break even. Thank you, Luke. Uh, thoughts on Valpara Health? Yeah, I agree with all that. And, and, and Claude's right. I mean, the market is screaming at these businesses saying, we're not going to fund your losses anymore. So as management teams, you have to make some hard decisions about your growth rates. Um, and, and, you know, if, if a push towards break even and profitability means growing at substantially lower rates, then that's what you have to do. Because Claude's right. Uh, for this business to now raise again, you'd be effectively locking in some, some massive dilution, which just uh, absolutely um, decimates your chances of a higher share price into the future. So um, I, it's one I hadn't looked at for a while. I looked at the result. I actually, yeah, I agree with Claude. I wasn't too happy with that last quarterly result. One of the things I didn't like was they made an acquisition but didn't actually break out how much that acquisition contributed to revenue but did break out how much it contributed to costs i wasn't i wasn't a fan of that um and the other one as well they're already quite heavily penetrated into their main u.s market like 34 percent penetration um so it's not like this is a you know claude mentioned intelli hr intelli hr is 0.00001 percent of their market whereas these guys they're already well towards it and i think they should be far closer to profitability based on where they are they're trying to drive average revenue per user. They're doing a decent job of it, but not quick enough. So, uh, look, I, I'll probably hold it as well. Um, you know, you've ridden it down to where it is, um, but I'd really be keeping an eye on management and making sure they're willing to make those hard decisions around um, their cost base and the growth moving forward. Yeah. Not cheap enough to buy, though, I think you've said there. All right, last on the oh. list is plenty. This one's for Toby. PLT is the ticker code. So it is in... Well, small business lending in a nutshell, personal lending as well, I do believe. Uh, Luke, what do you think? Plenty. Yeah, plenty, money me, wiser. There's been a bunch of these fintechs list over the last few years and, and they all look the same when you look at their recent reports. And, and the reason why is they're all reporting you know, triple digit growth, um, record um, low uh, loss rates or arrears. And the main reason why is banks have pulled completely out of consumer, le consumer lending, auto lending and small business lending. So these guys are just rushing to fill that gap. They've done a really good job, don't get me wrong, but as good as those metrics are and everything looked really good on the result, I just can't bring myself to step into them because of where we are in the macroeconomic cycle. You've been through two years where consumer balance sheets were effectively backstopped by the government. And I just need to see these guys go through a proper economic cycle where bad debts are actually allowed to become bad debts. Um, so hmm. I, think that, I think even the price is sort of reflecting that a little bit because these numbers were really good, yet you're at you know largely an all-time low or, or a one-year low. So again, a common theme, but if you're there, hold it. I struggle to buy though, just until I, I saw how this business executes in a, in a call it normal operating environment. Mm -hmm. Which it has not been, and to correct myself, it's not small business it lending, it's, it it's personal it's not, lending. It is, it's personal and auto. Yeah. And, but, but none of these guys have been through a, an actual cycle. That's what, that's what worries me. Because Many investors haven't been through price, an, a cycle, Luke. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I look at like Credit Corp, um, you know, Money3, um, even Cash Converters. Some of the guys that have been around through cycles, they're much more conservative with their lending at the minute. And, and mm-hmm. these guys aren't. And, and that's something just to keep in mind. Right. Claude, what do you think of Plenty? PLT for Toby. Uh, look, it's just a, it's a terrible high-risk exposure to have in my view. Like maybe the rewards are there, but probably not. If you look at their website, the popular loan, um, purposes are like just typical super high risk loan debt consolidation right oh I've got too much debt I'll get another loan to consolidate it all in one loan like that's not a credit risk I want um, look some of them are silly like solar and battery that's decent lending that I wouldn't mind being exposed to but then you've got just silly stuff like wedding plans holiday plans like I don't want to have um, exposure to the person that's borrowing money to pay for a massive wedding or pay for a holiday like Sure, look, they might pay it back, but that's not a good risk. And it's definitely not a good risk uh, at the current point in the cycle, in my view. Um, So it's a high risk one for me, and it's not risk I want to take, so I'd avoid it. Thank you. It's sort of a bit of common sense there, it would sound. All right, guys, before I let you go, Boss Energy, it's too risky. It's risky, in uh, Claude's word, and he's saying, you know, just didn't sound very convinced there at all. Sell if you're a Luke from Meriwether Capital. IntelliHR, look, they're both conflicted about this one. Uh, but Claude has reduced his own holding, so it is a hold for him. However, price, and uh, um, Luke really believes in the long-term story, so it's a hold for Claude, a buy for Luke. Top shelf, sell for Claude, hold for Luke. Volpara Health Technologies, they've both got a hold. They both sounded a bit disappointed in this one, really, after reading through the result. Um, though, Claude does have a small parcel of Volpara and plenty, a terrible risk for Claude to take on. And Luke just wondering what's going to happen as this cycle continues to turn and turn. It is. Well, Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. It is always a pleasure to get the chance to speak with you guys, often ahead of the weekend. So I get to wish you a very happy, healthy weekend. Thanks, Nadine. You too. Thanks. See you Thanks guys. Thanks a lot, guys. Now, anybody watching, if you're sitting at home thinking, well, I want to know about something, just email us. It's easy. The call at ausbiz.com.au. Also, you can send it via a tweet. And you can check out that portfolio at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.